we are preparing and we are part of a message series called Dear Church. Um, and we are unfolding the seven letters that Jesus uh, gave seven churches in the New Testament in the book of Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And as you can imagine, one of the themes and the, the letter that Jesus wrote to the church in Smyrna is actually about persecution. Um, and uh, as I was preparing this, this message and reflecting, and, um, and this week I had the, the beautiful opportunity to spend some time with Arash to hear his story, and it's just wonderful how God has these special times. Um, it was not because we planned in the beginning of the year to have a service like this and to focus on this subject, but clearly the Lord has something to share with us as a church, as a community, not only here in Portugal and in Lisbon, but because we have people from all over the world in this place. So it's definitely, uh, when we speak about persecution, is not something that is too far from us. It's not something that only happens to some people uh, very far away from us. Persecution is actually really close to us. And one thing that we know for sure, it's because when Jesus wrote to these ch seven churches in the New Testament, He's actually writing to the church of today. So when we read the word of God and when we unfold uh, what God has to share with us this morning, we are unfolding what happened with the churches in the New Testament, what were their qualities, what were their mistakes, and what can we learn from them as well. So this talk this morning is about the church in Smyrna. Um, Dina can put an image uh, also of the ruins of this city. This city was a city of wealth. The nickname of this city was the glory of Asia. Imagine being Lisbon, the glory of Europe. That would have been the, the best nickname ever. Of course, it's not. Maybe some other city is the glory of Europe. But Smyrna had this nickname because it was a center of trade. It was a very wealthy city, and especially uh, in the trade of wines. And we also know from history that this city was deeply committed to idolatry and to imperial cult, which means the worship of the Roman emperor. Back in the day, religion and state were basically one. If you, are, if you were a citizen, you were expected uh, to worship uh, the, the emperor. You were expected to offer incense and participate in all the festivities, all in the spe special celebrations uh, in their calendar. But the thing is, Christians, once they came to faith, uh, these Roman citizens, Christians, they refused to offer incense to any other god if not the one true god. And because of that, Christians were starting to be seen as disloyal citizens but also dangerous to society. And their rebellion was seen as the source of all the disasters that were brought against humanity by the Roman gods. So every time there were earthquakes, famines, or pestilence, Christians were the ones to blame. It was due to their rebellion against the Roman gods. And by the year 325, an estimated 7 million people were Christ's followers, devoted followers of Christ. But at that time, almost as many as 2 million people were killed for their faith. So John, the apostle, the apostle John who wrote this letter, this book of Revelation, he found himself imprisoned on the island of Patmos, and he had a vision of Christ himself, where Jesus commands him to write down a letter 
that would be read in seven churches. And this is the letter that we're going to unfold, the letter to Smyrna. So these are the ruins of the city right now. So if you go to Turkey, you can explore the city and learn some more about its culture. Uh, and this is what the, the letter starts uh, in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 8. It starts saying, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. So uh, Gabby explained very well the pa this past week, what does it mean, the angel of the church in Smyrna? And in very simple terms, it, it most probably means the pastor the authority of the church at that time. So this person is the messenger from God who would read this letter to the whole community. And Jesus chose this title. This writes the first and the last. And it's a title that is used not only in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. Jesus is identifying himself as the eternal king that spoke to Isaiah in Isaiah 44 verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. So Jesus is identifying himself as God Almighty, and he's speaking about his eternal nature, his eternal character. God is a God who will never change. But this God that we serve, Jesus Christ, he is also the one who died and came back to life. Jesus was crucified and he was killed, but death could not hold him. So he got out of that tomb on the third day and we know that he reigns forevermore. We know that while he is eternal and he has all these amazing attributes, he is in fact God. He also experienced pain. And death. And he can relate to those who experience death and pain. Our God is not a God who is far away. He is the first and the last. But he's also the one that understands you perfectly. He knows your struggles. He knows what you're going through. And we serve a God that is so beautiful and amazing. And then at the end of this letter, and we're going to jump to verse 11. Jesus finishes saying, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So Jesus has something to say as the victorious one. Jesus has something to say as someone who experienced death and suffering and persecution and all of this, but he's also the victor victorious one. He has authority to speak. And Jesus says, if you have ears, you have to pay attention to what I'm saying. Church of Christ, if we want to be Christ followers as the word of God is challenging us to believe in the gospel and surrender our lives to Jesus, we have to continuously pay attention to the voice of Christ because he's still speaking. Jesus is still speaking to the churches and it's our responsibility to listen to him. Many times we turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to Jesus. And it's not his fault, it's our fault. Because we are too busy with our troubles. 
We are too busy thinking about the latest gossip on social media. We're too busy thinking about the football match that we want to watch. We find a million reasons, reasons to get distracted and reject the voice of Christ. But when we reject the voice of Christ, we're not only not paying attention to what he has, is saying, we are rejecting the power of his word. We are rejecting the authority that God has to come and change our lives by the word that is being proclaimed. So Jesus is saying, if you have ear, you better listen to what I have to say to the church. If you have ears to hear, you better pay attention to the letters that I'm writing to the church. You better pay attention so that I can come and change your life, so that you can be a follower of mine, so that you can know the hope and the blessing that it is to follow me and be next to me, so that you're not overtaken by the troubles of this earth, but you are following a Christ who has overcome death, a Christ who has overcome every, everything. That is going on in your life. You are serving a Christ that is the first and the last. He died, but he rose again. He is the victorious one. And he wants us to share the victory that he, that he already gained for us on the cross. Jesus is saying, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. What is the second death? The first death we all experience as human beings. One day we will stop breathing. We will cease to exist on this planet. But the Bible says there is a second death. Once we get to eternity, to where God lives, based on our decision to follow Christ or not, we might have to experience a second death, which means an eternity away from God, filled with suffering for all eternity. But those who believe in Jesus, those who have accepted this gift of salvation, are going to overcome the second death. Because Jesus, not only we overcome the first and the second death, it means that because of him, we're going to overcome. We're going to live with him forever. This is the blessing that is expecting all of those who pay attention to the voice of Christ. So as we listen to Jesus this morning, and in every opportunity we have to listen to his voice, we need to be ready to listen. We need to be ready to listen to Jesus. So let's dive in, continue to dive in into this letter. In the book of Revelation chapters 9 and 10. And it says, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. And even last week, Gabby also spoke on how God knows. Jesus introduces his letter to Ephesus saying, I know. I know everything about you and how that gives us reassurance, how that gives us so much peace. We serve a God that knows. We don't have even to open our mouths to explain to him the things that we are going through. He already knows. And the Bible says, I know your works. God knows all the effort we are putting in to serve him in his kingdom all the sacrifices that we're doing to be faithful to him, God knows. 
God knows our tribulations. God knows the persecution that our brothers and sisters are suffering. He knows the hardships of people just because they want to follow Christ, everything they have to go through. And he knows that due to this kind of persecution, some people will have difficulty in meeting their personal needs. They will become poor. And this was especially interesting when we know that the, the city of Smyrna was a wealthy city. There was no reason for anyone to be hunger in hunger. There was no reason for anyone to be poor because they lived in a wealthy city. But if you are a Christian and you are a believer, you couldn't share of that wealth. People, Christians in Smyrna were robbed and fired from jobs because of the persecution. And Jesus goes on recognizing that this persecution is the devil's work. Persecution is aligned with the devil's modest operandi. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus tells us that in John chapter 10. He, that's how he acts. And some Jews at that time, they were somehow connected to the persecution of, Jesus, of Christians at that time. So Jesus called them the synagogue of Satan. They were a group that were following not God's voice, but the voice of Satan. And throughout history, Christians have endured all kinds of persecution. If you are like me, I was born and I, I always lived in countries where we were allowed to live our faith publicly. But if you were born in Iran or any other country doing that, it means um, that you will go through all sorts of troubles, prison, torture, and even death. And maybe we haven't experienced uh, so many difficulties as the testimony that we've heard this morning. But we have to remember what does the Word of God teach us. Why do we experience persecution? We might think that persecution is very far away, but let me tell you, if it's in the Word of God, it doesn't matter if you're living in Portugal or in the United States or whatever you feel the safest around in the world. You never know when the moment is going to come where your faith, as Jesus says, is going to be tested. But why do we experience persecution? Why does the church experience persecution? And the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone... Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone, at some point or another in their lives, will be treated unfairly for their faith in Jesus. Because the way of Jesus will never be compatible with the way of the world. The way of Christ will never be compatible or famous in the world. And Paul is not talking about political Christians, people that say they're Christians just to get the power and the vote. Paul is not speaking about cultural Christians, people that identify with some of, of Christians' values and some ideas and, and, and uh, practices and moral conduct. Paul is not talking about pseudo-Christians, those who just pretend to be Christians. It's fun to be a Christian. It's good to go to church. He's talking about us being children of God, born-again believers, wholehearted Christians, according to the message of the gospel, people who have surrendered it all, 
before Jesus. Everyone who wants to live a godly life with Christ Jesus will, in fact, experience persecution. It's a statement, and it's really true. In John 15, 18, Jesus says very clearly, if the world hates you, and hate is a very strong word, and is being used all around in the world of today. Oh, those, that group hates another group, and the, that's hate speech, and it's all about hate. But Jesus says, if the world hates you, my followers, keep in mind that it hated me first. And this might sound strange for a lot of people because they think Jesus was all about love. And Christianity is all about love. And loving people, and obviously the world loves that. The Beatles sang, uh, all you need is love. Ta-da-ta-ta-da-da. It's all about love. So if Jesus, the most loving, caring, beautiful person who has ever lived on this planet, was rejected and killed by the same world that says that love is all you need, how does this work? Because Jesus, yes, Jesus is all about love, yes. But my Jesus is also all about the truth. And the Bible says that Jesus said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is claiming ex being exclusive, the one that gives us access to the Father. Jesus is the truth, and no matter how we proclaim this as a church, the world will never accept that we follow the one that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No matter how you love, no matter your words, no matter how you, you put your face, I'm a Christ follower and you smile all the time. If you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, you will experience persecution. The world will not accept that. And the sooner we make peace with this understanding, the much better. People say, oh, you just have to be very careful in how you say the truth. It's all about how you say the truth. If you say the right words, people will always accept you and the gospel. But the Bible says everyone who, want, who wants to live a godly life with Christ will experience persecution. And obviously, we have to be careful in the words that we use. We have to be sensitive to the people around us. If obviously, of course. But never compromise the truth you believe in. Never compromise the faith that you once received in your heart and is the reason why you're standing here today loving and serving God with all your life because you recognize that he is the way, the truth, and the life. But when the world puts pressure on you, and it will, do you live as Jesus, as the way, the truth, and the life that you are following? Is it easier to ignore Jesus and not bring the fact that you are a Christ follower at work, at school, with family or friends? Or even when the world is putting pressure on you, you live to proclaim the truth. Yes, you live to proclaim God's love, but you also live to proclaim God's truth.
And it's our responsibility as Christ followers. We live in a country, and I love Portugal. We are such a calm country. <laughs> Even our revolution, if you read about our revolution in 1974, I mean, it was a revolution. There, there were no deaths involved. We're, we're that calm and nice people. We can change the whole system and order. No one needs to, to get killed. It's how we are. But we have no guarantees that we'll, it will always be like this. That we will always have this freedom to worship Jesus. And in fact, history tells us exactly that. So my question for us this morning as we unfold this theme is how do we endure persecution? How did the early church endure persecution? How were they able to stand firm in their faith? Because if I'm honest with you, when we hear the things that our friend went through, when we hear the testimonies of people that are giving their lives for the sake of the gospel, where do we stand? How is our relationship with Jesus? How were they able to say no? To healthcare, how were they able to say no to food, no to clothes, no to housing, no to cars, no to comfort, even saying no to their own lives in order to follow and love Jesus with all they had? And this is the advice that I found in the Word of God. And first, we need to learn to have joy in pleasing God, not ourselves. Or other people. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing what God approves of. We're not blessed, God it does not bless us for, for us to do what we like, what we approve of. God blesses those who do what He approves of. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you, lie, and say all kinds of evil things about you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because you have a great reward in heaven. And I know that it's, this, is challenging us for, this is challenging for us to understand. But we are called to please our Lord and Savior more than anyone else. We are called to be Christ followers. It means that Jesus is not only the Savior, but he is the Lord. A Christ follower is someone who understands, I have a master. I'm following the word of someone who is worthy of me following him with all my heart, with all my devotion, even to the point of giving my life for him. And imagine just this, because this is how the early church and how the church even today endures persecution. But even in the day of today, many times we, we want the approval of people for the things we do. We serve at church because we love the approval. We love the eyes. We love the compliments. We, we love to serve God when someone is watching. We like the, 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 the sense of, yes, I'm doing this for God, but I have the coziness of my community. But how do you serve God when no one else is looking? 
How do you serve God and obey God and do what God approves when no one, no one is around you to say, what a good thing that you're doing. We're, we're, we're called to follow Christ and follow God, not based on our feelings or just our understanding of things. We're called to follow Christ when people are looking, when people are not looking. Our obedience comes from a grateful heart to what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. Persecution reveals if we care more about pleasing God or pleasing ourselves or other people. So let's be honest this morning. Which one do we care more about? Pleasing God or pleasing ourselves? Second point. Jesus said, love your enemies. Matthew 5 says, but I tell you this, in this exact sermon that Jesus preached, I tell you this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In this way, you show that you are children of your Father in heaven. He makes his sun rise on people, whether they're good or evil. He lets rain fall on them, whether they're just or unjust. The only way we should relate to a world that hates us because of our faith is true love. Love and pray for those who insult you, who persecute you, and lie about you. You know why Jesus is asking us to do this? Because he did the same. When he was, on, was nailed on that cross, he he prayed to the Father, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus is able to forgive. And he's asking us, you and I, we need to forgive. Those who lie about us, those who persecute us. Look at them not as enemies, but as people who are in need of Jesus. Pray for them. Pray for their salvation. Pray that they will come to faith in Jesus. Not just praying, Lord, deliver me from this. And let me ask you, and let me ask myself this morning, how do we relate to those who offend and mistreat us? How do we relate today to people that act in these kinds of ways towards us? Do we show love? Do we pray for them? Do we have mercy on them? And let me speak very boldly here. Jesus told us to love our enemies. How much more should we love one another? In the body of Christ, we allow ourselves to get into conflicts, pity, conflicts with other fellow believers. And we hold grunges and we do not accept what others are, how the way they're treating us and how we feel when they do some things when they act in a certain way and we hold their offenses and we feel victims Jesus said love your enemies how are we showing love even to those who are fellow believers in Jesus Christ how are we accepting and embracing our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ when they actually can do something that offends us, that hurts us. 
If Jesus told us, love your enemies, pray for them, forgive them. Why do we value so much the hurt and the pain and things that people do to us? Being offended is a choice. And Jesus is telling, telling us, love. When people hurt you, love. When people say bad things about you, love. When people mistreat you for some reason, no matter if it's legitimate or not, love and pray for them. And the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. Jesus is saying love is really the way. And we need to love one another as Jesus loved us too. The Bible also says that we need to value our present blessings and our future rewards in heaven. And Jesus said in Revelation, we just read, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. How can Jesus say that the church is actually rich when we're undergoing so many struggles, physical struggles? Because Jesus is not pointing out this by earthly standards. Jesus is pointing out the richness in heavenly standards. And in the letter of, to the Hebrews, we, we see how aggressive the persecution got, but also how great the, the hope of the church became. It says in Hebrews, remember those earlier days after you received the light. You remained strong in a great battle that was full of suffering. Sometimes people spoke badly about you in front of others. Sometimes you were treated badly. At other times, you stood side by side with people being treated like this. You suffered along with people in prison. When your property was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew that God had given you better and more lasting things. So don't throw away your bold faith. It will bring you rich rewards. You need to be faithful. Then you will do what God wants. You will receive what he has promised. The church was able to rejoice and be glad in Jesus. Their goal wasn't to pursue social acceptance or worldly wealth, but finding joy in the things that God had already given them. Salvation, a new heart and life, peace joy, love, forgiveness of sins, finding joy in the hope of eternal life, the eternal reward that is awaiting them. The Bible tells us and is encouraging us that when we experience persecution, we actually find out if we are earth-driven or eternity-driven. What motivates you the most? Things here on this earth or things and blessings from eternity that you can already enjoy here, but many of them and most of them are awaiting for you in heaven. What are you ready to let go because of your love for Jesus? And I'm not asking this question just to be in the air. I'm asking you. Because the word of God is telling us this morning, what are you willing to let go because of your love for me? What are you willing to let go? I want to ask the worship team to come.
and we didn't sing to the Lord right in the beginning of the service. Because I believe now we are ready to worship the Lord. We are free to worship Jesus. We are free to get together to sing to him. We are free to express our love to the Jesus who is the first and the last. But he is also the one who died and came back to life. He is the one that gives us victory. Jesus is the one that we love with all our hearts and minds and souls. And we want to live with him forever. Jesus is the one that is worthy of our obedience, of our sacrifices, of putting him first in his kingdom, knowing that he will take care of us. So that is why now we are ready to worship the Lord. But let me share with you this fourth and final aspect of why are we persecuted. Because persecution allows us to find out what our faith is really made of. And it says in Revelation in this letter, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Most of the products that you buy these days, they have to be tested. There are some things that you buy that you wouldn't buy if, if you knew they, were, they weren't tested. You don't buy a toy or, or a, a, a medicine for your baby if you know it wasn't tested. You don't buy a car if you don't know how safe it is. There are so many. We recognize the importance of, of testing something to see if it's true. To see if it works. To see if it, if it has quality, in fact. And the Bible says, and Jesus is saying, that our faith will be tested. Time and time again in the New Testament, your faith will be tested. But we are not being tested so that God might, may know what is going on inside of us. God looks at you and he knows everything straight away. He doesn't need you to be tested so that he might know what your faith is made of. But God allows your faith to be tested so that you and I, we might know what our faith is really made of. So our struggles, our circumstances, our hardships are not there because God has pleasure in seeing you suffer, seeing you go through uh, tribulations, even allowing the devil to put so much pressure on your life and in your workplace and in the place where you study. But God sees these struggles as an opportunity for you to take a good look inside. Where are you going to have the strength to endure? When times are hard, where do you go to receive strength? What is your faith really made of? And I'm not pointing out or convict, convicting you of anything. God is convicting me and has been convicting me this week. What is our faith really made of? Is it really precious like gold and silver? As Jesus says, he wants to see in our hearts and minds. Or the moment fire comes in 
it burns everything to the ground. We need to be careful about our faith. The Bible says in 1 Peter 6 to 9, if in this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by many various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, and perishes through, it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you, you believe in him and rejoice in the joy in this joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we need to ask this important question. Is my faith genuine or counterfeit? And a knockoff faith will never, ever do God's work in our hearts, do God's work in our lives. We can fool ourselves. We can fool other people with the quality of our faith. But the only faith that lasts is a faith that is genuine. A faith in Christ alone. The way, the truth, and the life. And allowing Jesus to be everything we need. This is an opportunity for us to take a good look inside of us and see what our faith is really made of. Christ, have, Christ has done everything for us. How are we following him? This is a wake-up call for us this morning. Let's all stand And let's sing with a grateful heart. Let's sing with a renewed commitment in His presence. Let's sing with an open heart to our Lord and Savior, recognizing and allowing the Lord to convict us of what we need to change, of how we need to follow Him. But this morning, you can ask the Lord for forgiveness. But ask him to fill your heart and life with the joy and the peace of the Holy Spirit. So that no matter what comes your way, no matter the circumstances, you will never let go of the faith and love and peace that you have received through the holy person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to give his life for the for forgiveness of our sins and give us the gift of in an eternity with God. Let's sing and praise this Lord this morning. Lord Jesus, we want to give you all the praise, all the honor, all the glory that only belongs to your name. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. Thank you for the opportunity of being together and listen to the voice of Jesus. Lord, and we pray that your word will not go away empty, but it will fulfill every purpose why you have sent it to us this morning, Father. We pray for turned hearts. We pray for repentance in this place. We pray, Father, for a faith that is genuine, for a faith that is standing clear, standing strong, 
in the faith that we have received through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that we will be able to follow you courageously, boldly, regardless of the circumstances that we are facing in our lives. Father, we pray that you, we will take this challenge to live out our faith, even if the world doesn't understand, even if the, the world goes against us. Father, we want to remain faithful to you because you have been faithful to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and lives. And right now, Lord, receive all the praise, all the glory, all the, the glory and, and our adoration, Lord, that belongs to you alone because you are the one who died but came back to life and remains victorious till the ends of times, Lord. You are our King forever and we will proclaim the goodness of the Lord with all the air of our lungs, with all, the, all, all our thoughts, all our minds, Lord, are focused on you, Lord, because we want to love and serve the King of kings forevermore. Thank you, Father, for your presence. Thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for all that you are doing in us and through us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.